Got my uh, Made for Mondays mug already, and uh, you can pick your, yours up out at the info center after the service. They are limited edition, okay? <laughs> so that means that all of you don't get one. So you might have to throw some elbows at the back door on the way out today. Um, but uh, yeah, they're limited edition, and they're more limited edition than I expected when I first kind of started doing this, because there's a few of you that are uh, grammatical gurus, we'll call you, and you don't like the fact that there's an apostrophe in Mondays, and whatever. I mean, I just think it makes it more special, but I mean, whatever. If you want it to be grammatically correct, um, it's not there. But they are absolutely free, and I hope that you'd pick one up. Um, truly, I uh, just want you to know that they're, uh, I mean, I made this joke at the last service, they're apostrophe-free. You're, you're welcome. That one's free. So when you, when you pick it up and you take it to work with you and you put it on your desk or at school and when you, uh, when you show it to people, you just let them know that your church gave it to you apostrophe-free. That you, can, you can use that whenever you want. But honestly, grab it and uh, take it to work with you. Take it to work with you. Take it to school with you. I encourage you to set it on your desk. Today we're going to talk about the fact that we were made for Monday and the fact that we were made to work. That God has created us for work. He's created us for a purpose and on purpose. And so set this on your desk in those moments where, where things uh, feel insignificant, where you feel like you're going through mundane tasks. Uh, just allow this to be a reminder to each and every one of us to know that like, God makes it significant for us. And so just allow this to be a reminder. Also encourage you, if somebody asks you about it, to, uh, to, to invite them to church or to share a little bit of your faith story. Ask them where it came from or tell them where it came from. Um, that's our hope for that. So they're limited edition. They're super grammatically correct. And they are ap- apostrophe-free at the Info Center after the service. So uh, make sure you grab one of those. I want to welcome uh, each of you here today. Uh, Just an awesome opportunity to be able to come and to worship the Almighty God in this place. And I'm Austin, and I'm the campus pastor at our St. Croix campus in Minnesota. And so a special welcome to you. Yeah, yeah, give it up for St. Croix. Yeah, Travis Waltner keeps telling the tea is best, but it's not, so... And honestly, a special welcome to you uh, today. I want to welcome um, all of you today, all of our network churches, all of our campuses. Uh, Just an honor to be able to be with you today. Uh, There was a man in the 1800s, late 1800s, his name was George Carver, and he wanted to do something significant in his life, I think all of us kind of do, and he wanted to do something significant, so he decided he was going to go, and he was going to ask God to reveal something significant for him to do, and so God asked him to ask a question, so he said, God, what was the universe made for? And God's like, ooh, that's a little too much for you, Uh, why don't you take something a little bit more your size, and he's like, all right. Uh, what was man made to do? What were humans made to do? And he's like, yeah, it's a little bit too big still, a little bit too grandiose for your little minds. Maybe come up with something that you can kind of, you know, chew on a little bit more. And so he's like, all right. And so he picked up a peanut and he said, God, what was the intention for this peanut? What was it made for? And God said, that's better. That's something that you can wrap your mind around and I want you to figure out what the peanut was made for. And that began um, a journey for Carver. He discovered over 300 uses Uh, for the lowly peanut. He wrote a book called The Possibilities of the Peanut. It actually is still for sale. You can pick it up. I looked it up but did not buy it. Um, And it exhibited 145 different peanut products and some of which we still have today. Things like peanut butter, peanut oil, peanut cake, all really good things. And the greatest contribution of the peanuts is obviously the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. I I doubt he probably knew that, but it was a big contribution. And I want you also to know that if you say it's Reese's, you're wrong. So Reese's peanut butter cups, that one's free. You're welcome for that one. But honestly, Carver, he he took what what many of us would consider insignificant work. I mean, what is the peanut made for? 
I mean, is there something that seems more insignificant than that? But he realized that even though it may be insignificant in the eyes of the world, if he worked hard at it and he gave God the glory, that something great could happen. He realized that if he did it to the very best of his ability and for God's glory, that it was significant. And so we're continuing on in our message series today called Made for This. And a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we were made to be generous with our time and with our giving, with our service. And then last week, Travis talked about how uh, we were made for rest. And so I'm following up that message that we were made for rest, made for Sabbath, with we were made for work. And uh, honestly, our culture widely celebrates Fridays and tolerates Mondays. Um, I don't know if you love Mondays or, or don't, if you love going to the job that you have, but however you feel about it, I'm here to tell you that you were made for Mondays. I believe scripture is abundantly clear when it comes to what work is and what it was made for. I want to encourage all of us to not just simply work for the weekend. Don't just go to work Monday through Friday just to get to Saturday. That just is no life to live. We were made for work and we were made for Monday. God designed work to function in the world. He designed our world to function around our work. Our work has meaning. And the fact that our work has meaning, that is what separates our work from the work of all other animals. See, all animals are working and doing things on the planet, but our work is different. It's categorically different than the other animals on the earth because our work is worship. Our work is an opportunity to worship the Almighty God because it follows in the footsteps of God because he is a worker. God is a hard worker. In the beginning of the Bible, we find this narrative, this story that takes place. We find God in the midst of nothing, in complete absence of anything, and he begins to work, and he begins to create. We see this beautiful, beautiful story take place as he begins to make the stars and the moon. He designs the land and the water, the mountains. He orchestrates the sunsets, and then he creates plants and animals and birds and monkeys and banana slugs and flamingos and sunflowers and all kinds of amazing things. And just think about the nothingness that existed before that. And then God goes to work. And the awe-inspiring work that he does creates something as magnificent as this earth. As magnificent as the universe. As magnificent as the stars. You see, in this story, God is creating and working in a pretty awesome way. And he's working a little bit different than probably you and I work. You see, God is saying, let there be light, and then light appears. And I don't know about you, but I don't just say things and they happen. It's not like, empty my email box, and it's empty. Or even harder than that, kids, go clean your room. That just never happens. I don't know how that works. But that's how God is creating. God is just continuing to work and work and work. And then after he's done with all of the plants and the birds and the animals and the land and the sea and the stars and the universe, there's this, this moment that you and I become a possibility where humankind is created. And that's where we're going to pick up today in Genesis 2, uh, verses 7 through 9, and then we're going to jump to 15. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to take it out, uh, take it out on your phone. Um, it'll be on the screen as well. It says this, Then the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. There's a couple of things inside this passage I want to point out. The first thing is that we're reading out of Genesis chapter 2. Sin doesn't become a part of our reality until chapter 3. My point is, 
is that work is a part of God's perfect plan from the beginning. From the very beginning, God's plan was for us to work. It is not a result of our brokenness. It is not a punishment for our sin. Work is a part of God's original, perfect, flawless design for you and for me, for all of humanity. The word cultivate in in verse 15 is amazing because it actually means in the Hebrew work and service. And then the word keep carries on this idea of care and protection and love. You see, God put Adam in the Garden of Eden to work it, to cultivate it, and to care for it. This language of cultivating and to care, it mirrors what God has just shown us in creation. He goes from taking all of this chaos, all of this nothingness, and brings it into order. He takes all of these things and he brings it right into order. Adam and Eve are tasked with turning the whole earth into the Garden of Eden. It's not going to happen by magic. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by a concerted effort on all of our parts. God's purpose for humanity simply started in the garden. And it continues with you and me. One professor said it this way, God expected Adam and Eve to eventually split the Adam. To eventually split the Adam. He didn't just intend for them to have babies and plant trees and name the animals. What that means is that God created Adam and Eve to create a lineage of human beings to cultivate and care for the entire earth in all of its glory. See, they were meant to exercise dominion over all of creation, turning the entire earth into a showcase, into a display of his glory, his beauty, and his majesty. And then we are to work and care for it for all of eternity. And so God's design was our work from the very beginning. Our our work was God's plan to allow every aspect of life and culture and world to be saturated with his beauty and with his love and with his glory. Everything in our lives and in culture, it's not just animals and trees, it's culture and life and caring and loving for others. It's important that we see these, these two things, the goodness of God's creation of work and then the brokenness and the fallenness of difficulties in work from our sin. Because if we only see the good when life gets tough and work gets hard, then we just don't believe in what God has done. And if we only see the good, we get frustrated when it doesn't go the way that it should. If we only see the bad, then we're going to have a hard time giving God the glory. Because work is not all good and it's not all bad. It's a part of God's good creation that has been tainted by our sin. God is at work to redeem the broken parts of our work. The broken parts that have become a reality because of our sin. God is a redeemer. And he is redeeming your work as well. The creation of mankind created work, and the fall of mankind made work difficult. So redemption in Christ must transform our understanding of work. We have to see this good side of work. It cannot be this work for the weekend. We don't really see the significance in it. It has to go from that to something that is far more significant for God's glory. Work has a great spiritual significance because it's a chance for God to be glorified, and that is incredibly significant. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then in Colossians, the third chapter, verse 17, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, it echoes that same story. It says, Whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through it. Whatever you do. That pretty much covers us all, doesn't it? Do it all for the glory of God. When you show up at your job, you're there to glorify God. 
God wants to be honored in what you do and how you do it. Your work, the work you, you should be doing is the work you are doing. Let me say that again. The work you should be doing is the work that you are doing. And I say that because I think we live in a culture that says, what's next? What's next? What's this leading me to? And I think oftentimes God is saying, I've placed you here for a reason. I've placed you here for a significant calling. If you'll just stay here and see what I have called you to. Now, that calling might change tomorrow, next week, next month. But as for right now, if God has not called you out of it, if he's not released you from where you're at, the work that you should be doing is the work that you're already doing. Don't wish it away. So how do we follow through on this calling that God has given us to work? It's a pretty solid question. I'd be asking that too if I was, if I was listening. The first thing is work hard. Go to work tomorrow, next month, next year, and do your absolute best. Do the best you possibly can. Be the best employee, the best manager, the best associate, the best parent you can possibly be. Seek to be known as the most honest, the most ethical, the most humble, the most competent person in your field. And do all of this not to advance your own career, to climb the corporate ladder, but do it to make the name of God great and to honor him. I've got a real close friend of mine um, who came to me a few months ago and he told me that he was leaving full-time church ministry and he was going to go into the medical profession. And at the time, I was like, man, is that really a thing? Like, does God really call people out of church ministry? And I was like, I don't know if that's really, like, what you should be doing. Like, he's incredibly gifted in ministry and I've just seen amazing fruit come from the things that he's done inside of the church. And he said, I just feel like God's calling me to do it. And as I've processed through it, as I've prayed through it, as I've watched him work in this medical profession, Um, I came to the conclusion that he wasn't leaving ministry, he was simply changing it. He was simply changing his ministry. He was going from the church ministry to the marketplace ministry. And I'm here to tell you that the Bible doesn't distinguish between the two, in case you're wondering. There's no distinction inside of the entire Bible that says that there's a difference between sacred work and secular work. They are one and the same and they are both made for the glory of God. There's no distinction between secular work, marketplace work, and church work, sacred work, inside of the Bible. So that means if you're working in the marketplace, your calling to work for God's glory is equal, equal to the calling of those working inside of the walls of the church. Statistically, I understand that we serve inside of the church, and so part of our work life is going to be inside of the church. But statistically, most of us who consider go to church regularly are skilled and gifted in ways that are best used in the marketplace. Best used outside of the the walls of the church. Our call is to use our talents for God's glory in the marketplace. You see, all work is sacred work, like I said before. And it's all sacred work because God is working through our work. Being accomplished through everyday people and their everyday occupations. Working at a hospital or at home or at a school or in a law firm is no less glorifying to your creator than being a missionary or a pastor. No less glorifying. If you're a farmer or you're a doctor, approach that work with the same sense of calling as a missionary by raising crops and raising cattle, helping people and giving medicine all to the glory of God. If farming and medicine doesn't, isn't your thing, then in the words of Colossians 3, please, whatever you're doing, do it for God's glory. Whatever you are doing, do it for God's glory. God has given you passions and gifts and talents and he's uniquely crafted you to do something significant. And I want you to know, let me just take a time out here. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to the person sitting next to you, not talking to the person behind you, not talking to your kids, your parents, your neighbors, your nieces, your nephews. I'm talking to you. 
Each and every one of you has a unique gift and talent that God is desperate to use for his glory. Yep, you, salesman. Yep, you, stay-at-home dad. Yep, you, contractor. Yep, you, architect. Yep, you, barista. Yep, whatever you are doing, work hard. We are walking in the truth that we are made to work. When you solve a problem at work, when you, when you serve someone a coffee, when you pull a weed from the ground, you are walking out your God-given calling to this world. Willie Mays was made to play ball. Aretha Franklin was made to sing. Justin Timberlake was made to perform, in my humble opinion. And C.S. Lewis was made to love and adore his creator. I don't know what you uniquely were called to do, but I know it was significant. The Apostle Paul's occupation was to be a tent maker, and he used it for the glory of God by using that to fund and support his ministry of planting churches and serving inside of the church. You are ministers. You all are pastors. And you are disguised as engineers, receptionists, office managers, teachers, dental hygienists, contractors, business owners, and salesmen. You're basically spies for Jesus, okay? You're spies in the marketplace. You're ministers in the marketplace for Jesus. An opportunity to minister to people that may never step foot inside of a church. And that they can experience the church and they can experience the love of God by how you interact with them. Don't shrink away from what God has called you to do. Go after it. Do your work with a God-given vision by viewing your contribution to this world through your work by fulfilling God's plan to cultivate it and work this earth. Second thing. So the first thing is work hard. Second thing is we've got to say no to good things. My oldest son, he loves to collect things, like stamps and coins. No, I wish he did that. He's nine. He collects acorns. <laughs> acorns and rocks and shells, and if there's more than two of them, he wants to collect it. And so we were at a trip up to, to northern Minnesota, to Duluth. We were walking around Lake Superior on the shore. If you've ever been there, you know what it's talking about. Just absolutely beautiful. And it, he was like in heaven. I mean, there's like rocks and shells and sticks and stuff everywhere and he's like running around like screaming like dad look at this rock it's amazing look at this one it's white oh my gosh I can see through this one dad look at the shell what do you think lived inside of this and he's just stuffing stuff in his pockets and he's running all over the place and I'm like I'm like 100, 100 miles behind him I'm like go ahead bud tire yourself out I'll see you in a minute and he comes to this place on the, on the shore of Lake Superior and there's sea glass all over the shore and he is like Like, woo, I have hit the mother load. Like, this is what I've waited my entire existence, all nine years of my life have brought me to this moment. And I'm like, sweet bud, like, pick some of it up and like, let's take some of it home. And, and he kind of looks down and looks back up at me and, and I'm, kept, I'm, I'm catching up with him. And he's like, dad, look at all the sea glass. I'm like, bud, grab some. I grab some. And he looks down and he turns around and he looks at me with this puzzled look on his face. And as I approach him, I walk up to him, I realize that his hands are full and his pockets are full and he's already got all of these treasures that he's ready to take home that he wants to collect that he wants to do and he's looking down at all of this sea glass and he's trying to figure out which one of these treasures in my hand do I have to put down to pick up another treasure and I think my son's got it figured out and I don't think I do and I don't think many of us do when it comes to work because the lesson that we learn here is that we don't approach our work this way Oftentimes we are already so full 
and our schedules are packed and our hands are already full and our life is already full and then this new opportunity, this new good thing comes along and rather than looking down at our hands and realizing that it's already full of all of the treasure we could ever hope or imagine, that our calendar's already full of everything we could possibly do in a week's time, rather than looking down and sifting through what we need to take off our plate to see this new opportunity, we just add it on. See, as adults, as, as working people, oftentimes I find that we just continue to say yes over and over and over again. Rather than put something down, we just put on a backpack so we can carry more. And then when that one's full, we just get a bigger one, and then a bigger one, and then a bigger one. Mind you, this is all full of good stuff. And then we find ourselves down the road carrying so much good stuff that it's killing us. That we're no longer positioned to be able to do the work that God has set us out for. We must say no to good things in our lives. God has made us for Mondays and Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays to work. But we have to do it with inside of the parameters that he's laid out for us. To truly find the abundant life that God wants for us described in Ephesians 3, abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine, we must remain diligent in the calling that God has placed before us. To guard ourselves against saying yes to one more thing and one more thing and one more thing. We have to say no to some good opportunities to be positioned for overall effectiveness in our calling that God has placed before us. We were made to work. We were made for work to be a part of our lives. A part of our lives. Work is not to be our whole lives. We look at Jesus. We see the rhythms of his life and we see this over and over and over again where Jesus, he sees a good opportunity to do something good for someone And yet he finds time to pray and to withdraw and spend time with God. In Luke 5, Jesus has just healed the leper and he tells him, don't tell anybody. I mean, the leper's like, I can't do that. I mean, he just healed me. Like, I'm going to tell everybody. He's running around telling everybody. And this crowd begins to swarm Jesus saying, heal me, heal me, heal me, heal me. And in verse 16, it says, but Jesus then withdrew to a lonely place to pray. Like, I think we can all probably agree that healing people from sickness is a good thing, right? But yet Jesus, he's looking in the face of people who need to be healed, and he understands the concept he has to be healthy to be able to heal people. He has to be able to withdraw to connect with God and to connect with his family and to have balance in his life to be any good to anybody. We see it so beautifully laid out in his life. And so I ask you, when was the last time somebody asked you to do something and you looked down and you withdrew for a moment and said, I gotta figure out if it's actually gonna work and prioritized our lives? It's been a while for me. It's been a while for me and I want you to know that anytime I ever speak, I am speaking a message that I desperately need to hear. And that it's been a while since I've prioritized the things in my life and, and, and said no to some good things. Friends, we might need to just take the backpack off and leave it behind. So we can have an opportunity to focus on some things. I want us to commit to only saying yes, only to picking up the things that God has uniquely called us to. We might need to make sure that our work is is in its fullness is doing what God has called us to. Some of us might have to empty our hands and empty our pockets. But maybe you're on the flip side of that and maybe you actually need to pick something up. Maybe you've just been drifting through life. God has called us to work hard and to work diligently to cultivate and care for the earth. And maybe your hands are empty and your pockets are empty and you're just kind of floating through life. And I challenge you to pick something up and do it for God's glory. The last thing that I've already kind of alluded to is to do it for God's glory. It needs to be said. 
All of this is for God's glory. I've had many different careers in my life. I've worked in the marketplace and I've worked in ministry. I owned a construction company. I've been a campus pastor. I've been a youth pastor. I owned a lawn care company. And I can tell you that it's not easy all the time in all of those jobs to give glory to God. As a pastor, there are many times where I see God changing people's lives and yet I forget the first part of it. I see lives being changed and I think, God, man, Austin, you're doing an awesome job. And I've also seen the flip side in the marketplace where, where my, my business was booming and, and blessings and new, new contracts and new clients and all these things and I found that like, God, thanks for, thanks for just being amazing. Thanks for blessing me. Thanks for showing your favor on me. And I'm here to tell you that whatever you're doing, just like the words of Colossians, whatever you're doing, you can do it for God's glory, whether in the marketplace or in the church world. Paul told the Colossians to whatever they're doing, do it all for God's glory. So whether you're preaching sermons, branding cattle, selling stocks, raising kids, whether you're retired or working, whether you're paid or unpaid, do it all for his glory. God designed your work to be good and he made your work for your good. Work has an inherent worth and value because God took time to give it to us. No matter what you do for work, you have the ability to use it for good, for the redemption of this world. So when you go to work tomorrow morning, or later tonight, or next Thursday, or next weekend, ask yourself, what has God set in in front of me to accomplish for his glory? How can I partner with him to bring it to completion? Ask, what can we do to be a part of the redemptive work on this planet, to cultivate it, and to care for this planet? Because if we all do that, no matter what the work, it will have value. It will have significance, and that significance will last It will last because you were made to do it. God made it for you. You were made for this. You were made to work. And we were made for Mondays. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you and we praise you for this. We love you. We ask that you just continue to be with us. God, allow us to see the significance that you have given to our work inside of the insignificant tasks that we may feel like we have. God, it's of utmost importance that we do this for your glory that we work hard, that we, we show the world wherever we're working, that we serve you, that we love you. God, thanks for sending Jesus to give us an example of what work can truly look like, that it's made for your glory and for our fulfillment. We love you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.